Welcome back to Kings of Columbus. Special interview on this one. This is in place of the betting show, which is uh, uh, taking a, a week off this week and maybe needs to take the whole rest of the season off because we keep losing you money. So uh, Austin's doing okay. Landis and I are doing terrible. But we have a great guest. It's Malcolm Jenkins, who has written a new book that is going to be released next week. It's called What Winners Won't Tell You. And we have about a 20-minute interview with Malcolm. There's a lot of stuff in his book about the NFL and about all of his activities off the field in the community with social justice but there's some ohio state stuff in there too so it's a really interesting read and malcolm and i we talked about his time at ohio state how he got to ohio state uh what he learned sort of at ohio state and again it's a it's pretty wild how this this kid from new jersey wound up in columbus and wound up as you know a, a truly great buckeye so we're excited to have him on i think you'll enjoy this interview Malcolm Jenkins on his book, What Winners Won't Tell You. All right, Malcolm, thanks again for doing this. We'll bring you in and uh, we'll talk about this thing. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. So happy to be joined on Kings of Columbus by Malcolm Jenkins. And Malcolm, I will, I will say off the bat, people who have listened to me over the years uh, know this. I've always said that this is my 19th season covering Ohio State, that you are my favorite player in terms of the combination of fierceness and ferociousness on the field and then like deep thinker worldview guy off the field. So, you know, to get a whole book of your thoughts was was pretty cool. Um, Why are you like that? It feels like you were like that as a young man at Ohio State, and I think anybody who reads this book or knows your career in the NFL, you've continued to be like that. How do you manage that? Yeah, I mean, I think I've always just been a forever learner. Like, I've always been interested in figuring out the why to things, and, and it's probably because my entire you know, childhood, I heard my father say, you don't know what you don't know. Uh, and at first, I was <laughs> really annoyed by hearing this saying all the time. It was like, Obviously, I don't know everything I don't know. But when I really like rested in that, it, it caused me to always ask why. So if a coach is telling me to, you know, run cover three and you play seven yards off, you know, I wasn't just going to go do it just because you said it. I needed to know why so I can do it better and understand the totality of the picture. And I took that same mentality, you know, off the field. When I look at society, I look at some of the issues. It's easy to just understand things as they are and say, this is, you know, how things always run. So you fall in line, but I've always raised my hand and, and asked like, why is this that way? And you start to realize that everything is on purpose. Everything is deliberate. And therefore you can choose how to, like, that's where creativity comes from. Mm-hmm. You understand the confines of whatever systems you're in, whether that's society or in sports or in business. And then you use your own kind of spin on things to, uh, maneuver in that space. And that's always been kind of in my DNA. And and it's obviously, you see it a lot in the book. You'll see how I apply those, that, that mentality in a lot of different situations. So Malcolm, the book you arranged it, it's not a linear structure. It's not, I was born here. I went to middle school here. It, it's it's yeah. separated in chapters that are sort of like particular ways of approaching things in life. It's a very interesting way of doing things. But what you just said about raising your hand and asking why, there, I, there's at least one story you tell in that book where maybe that bumped up against coaches sometimes. Did you ever, did that ever, was that ever difficult for you that if you're a raise your hand, ask why kind of guy, did you ever have coaches who were like, hey, I'm a do what I say kind of <laughs> coach. I don't want you raising your hand. 
Yeah, we usually uh, we we butted heads because uh, I never stopped asking questions. You know, <laughs> I, I've I had a lot of you know coaches like that, and and I think any coach who's ever really coached me, especially defensive back coaches that are seeing me every day, you know, it was either you loved me or you hated me because. But I forced everyone to come prepare, and I think one of the one of the best lessons I, I think I learned is when I began to ask those questions, and I'm kind of disrupting the meetings. Uh, I remember Wesley McGriff, we call him Crime Dog. He was a first year uh, defensive back coach uh, with the Saints. He flat out paused the tape, turned around, and told me to shut the f up. He's like, sometimes <laughs> you got to know when to be quiet. And after the meeting, he and I sat, and he said, "Look." And this was the most humble thing I've heard anybody say as a coach. He said, you know this defense better than I do. So you don't need to come in here and disrupt the meeting asking why. You need to figure out the answers and then come present the answers. And that really changed how I looked at things as a player. Like when things broke down on the field, I was responsible to fix it. You know, and it began to look like I looked at things in life like that. Anything that's wrong, I'm responsible for figuring out how to fix it. And I think, you know, those relationships take a lot of humility. It takes trust. I can be coached by somebody or yelled at somebody if I know that you have my best intentions, you know, at play and vice versa. And so, you know, it, it, it doesn't work with everybody, but those who, who are really committed to winning, who are humble and get their egos out of the way, myself included, um, it's a lot easier. We can be more productive as a collaboration. I, I always say, like, you can't slice up people's lives right and say i like this part of somebody but i don't like this part of somebody because it all yeah. comes from the same place so the person that you've been as a leader um both on and off the field like you're malcolm right so i don't right. know that someone can say hey man like why why does this guy ask all these questions because that's who you are but when you were at osu you're doing that are you doing that like freshman sophomore year as a buckeye raising your hand and saying why well, yeah, uh, but but I actually had um, was it Tim Beckman was the defensive back coach my first two years, and he was a teacher. Like, so I didn't even have to ask why. He was explaining why. I, I remember Kirk Coleman getting cursed out one day because uh, he didn't know the entire scouting report like verbatim. He had to get up and recite some things and didn't know it. He tried to look like behind him to see what was on the board and got and got demolished. And so. Uh, Early on, I understood like the responsibility of preparation to know your job, to understand the defense. Um, and so when I got to the league, you know, that was that was my mindset. I needed to know every single thing about my job. And if I didn't, I was going to ask because, you know, nobody when you blow a coverage on Sundays, on Saturdays, nobody asks, hey, did, did you get the install right on Wednesday? Did the coach give you everything? You know, it's on the player, right? Yep. So before I go perform, I need every bit of information, you know, that I can get. I don't care if you get upset that you got to do some extra work or you got to take some more time in the meeting. I want to be as prepared as possible. So in this book, again, it's there's a lot of sort of interesting back and forth between yeah. life and football. And again, it's it's under headings, fear, discipline, compete, sudden change, step up, poise, all these things, Malcolm. And I think it makes for a very interesting read because read. you're constantly back and forth yeah. football life football life but also that feels like that's how you lived football it, life football life well i wanted people as they read it to feel that's kind of how it feels to be in a football game like it goes back and forth from offense that is progressing forward you know moving you through the timeline but it's also defense where you're moving backwards and it's this sudden change you know uh, from past to future to present 
Um, and I wanted it to be a visual experience that the reader could, you know, whether you are a football fan or not, that you could understand and, and feel like you were in the game, like you understood the game when you understood that moment. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's all kind of part of the way I wanted to tell the story. Like I said, I'm 35 years old. I didn't want to tell a linear like, hey, I grew up here. I did this, 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 this. I wanted people to feel what it's like to be kind of in my shoes, the back and forth, the sudden changes of things, the things you have to persevere from, the inner thoughts and doubts, because my life has been documented. We've watched these games. We've watched these moments. We've read the articles. So I had to tell it in a way that was unique to the reader. It is um, your voice comes through loud and clear. I'm not. I just know you from covering you from yeah. your time at Ohio State, Malcolm. But I'm reading this thing, and I'm like, "Well, this is this is Malcolm Jenkins, man." I don't. Yeah. It, there's no like. There's no like. You know, smoothing this out. This is. It feels so real. Was that yeah. hard at all to like get that through the editing process of like, hey, man, like I'm just gonna tell you what it's really like because I, I like yeah. that your voice is so strong in it. Yeah, it, you know, that kind of comes down to the process of how the book came to be. Like, I started writing this maybe two years ago while I was still playing. Okay. And, and because I was still playing, I didn't think I could write a book, you know, in doing all of that. So we had uh, a co-writer on board, and the voice just didn't come through the way that, you know, you just described. And so about 30 days before the book was supposed to be due, we were stuck with a manuscript that we couldn't use. And so I had to write this book in 30 days myself. And that's why my voice comes through so clear because I wrote every, every word. Wow. Uh, yeah. And it's and so I really put myself into those moments as, as much as I could. I went into like a training camp mentality where every day I'm just, you know, in this book, in my thoughts, making connections uh, and came out with something I was really, really proud of. I, I love the fact that it is in my authentic voice. It sounds like you're having a conversation with me because I wanted that to be the feel. There's a lot of great NFL insight in this. There also clearly is Ohio State insight in this. And I want to ask about two things in particular about your experience at Ohio State. The first is how you wound up at Ohio State. I think people love the how'd you get your offer stories. Yeah. And your how you got the offer story of kind of coming to a camp, paying for it, yeah. not being one of the invited guys. And then they're like, oh, man, this Jersey dude can play. Like. Yeah. Were you shocked that you went in and earned an OSU offer like that? Did you know what you're going to do? And like, how do you think it changed your life that you went out and earned an Ohio State offer on a camp that maybe you w didn't even have to end up at? Oh, it, it absolutely changed my life. Uh, and, and that's one of the things about me that I, I think people don't understand. I love the game of football from an intellectual and strategy standpoint, but I never really like, had dreams of playing in NFL. I didn't think I was going to go to college to play uh, football, but it was, you know, just happened to go to Ohio. Uh, my aunt moved to Ohio. We went to visit and my parents to keep us busy, put us in Ohio State's camp. But there's one thing I love to do and it's compete. And so when I was there, I kept getting pissed off at all the Ohio kids that were talking, Jersey guys can't play ball. Y'all don't play no football in Jersey. And so I tried to demolish every single receiver at that camp. I think Brian Hartline was there. It was like a bunch of other guys uh, that recruits, guys they had already offered. And I just found myself just going rep after rep after rep after rep. And I'm, I'm watching as Trestle and the defensive coordinators and all these guys are, are paying attention. And then next thing you know, I'm in an office and they're telling me, hey, you might be the best you know, corner in the country. 
and I was like the 66th ranked recruit in New Jersey. So it yeah. was like that kind of blew my mind. But that conversation just made me think, you know, more expansive about what I could do. I started thinking about, well, maybe I could be the best in the, in the country or maybe I can go to the NFL. But I didn't really even know that about myself until I got out of New Jersey and started competing against other people. And when I came home, that scholarship was sitting right on the porch. That is wild, man. Yeah. So really, so your aunt in the book, you say your aunt lived in Westerville, right? Yeah. Actually, I live in Westerville right now. If your aunt lived in a suburb of Ann Arbor, would you have gone to the, a Michigan camp? But like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, no, I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, okay. I, I don't know if my parents would have made that drive to Ann Arbor, but they were definitely driving from Jersey, that eight hour drive from Jersey all the way to Columbus. Crazy. Um, but like, like you said, it's it's crazy how, you know, things like that happen because she just moved out there. She was feeling a little lonely. So, all right, her sister wants to come visit. Um, but if that doesn't happen, I don't go to Ohio State. That's wild. That is wild. Okay. So then the second thing that I, I just found fascinating is the way that you sort of established it, it, from reading your book, like a full experience and a full life at Ohio State. And that seems from the book to be particularly involved with your faith and your fraternity and that idea how difficult is it when you are playing football at a very high level like you are at ohio state to have a full life outside of the football team how did you manage that and why was it important to you well it was always important to me because i just i felt empty in the first like the first year i got there i was and it's if you play at a major program it was a lot of expectations. We were trying to go to a national championship. Um, but but eventually you want more out of life, or at least I did. Um, and, it, and I found that through my faith, you know, taking me in different places, finding my fraternity that introduced me to a whole nother side of campus life that like athletes usually don't partake in. We are in the dorms to the facility, maybe our apartment, and that's kind of it. But this brought me into um, campus life with other black students and other organizations doing things in Columbus, getting into schools and doing things outside of the team really brought me, you know, made me feel like home to the point where my senior year or after my junior season, I had the opportunity to go to the NFL. I was graded to be a top 15 pick my junior year. Um, and I forgo forgot that and I <laughs> uh, gave that up because I wanted to stay at Ohio State, honestly, I was just having too much fun. I loved it. Mm. Like I, was, I wasn't ready to make football or my life a job. I was like, that's going to come. The, the league will be there. I'll take the risk. I want to play one more year. I want to graduate. I want to enjoy my full experience. Um, and, and a lot of that was due to the friends that I made, the faith I had you know, while I was on campus. I can remember writing a story about you and your fraternity when you were there because yeah. you were a step leader in your fraternity. I remember right? that, yeah. 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 <laughs> and and I, again, in my time covering this team, I don't know that I've run across a lot of players who had that other kind of connection to a group like that on campus. And in your mm -hmm. book, it feels like maybe you were a little bit nervous about how it would be received, you yeah. joining that fraternity, and then you went in and talked to Tress, and <laughs> you were a little surprised by his reaction, right? Uh, yeah, he he he's like, you know, because I missed the team function. And, you know, Trestle was a guy, if you're, you know, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, don't show up. And I missed an entire, you know, team function because I was, you know, joining this fraternity. And so, of course, I had to go talk to him. And 
his response was not only did he know kind of what I was going on, what was going on, but he talked about his experience joining the fraternity and how he learned so many things, you know, beyond just the academics. He's like, I learned more from that brotherhood than I did in school. And it made me have so much more of a respect for, for trusting who he was, how we understood things. And not only did, you know, I pledge, but after that, there were other teammates who were watching me. And we probably had Deontay Johnson, who was a fullback. He was above me. He was a team captain. He joined the fraternity. Rob Rose was another defensive end uh, who joined the fraternity. And there's so many guys now since then from the football team that have joined the fraternity, uh, mainly because, you know, I was kind of the one that showed that it was safe to do such. That's, you raised your hand and said, Ben, I'm, yeah. I'm doing this thing, right? <laughs> exactly. So this experience, Malcolm, again, I, I, I don't want to say what you've done in your career on and off the field, like feels to me like it fits with the person you were at Ohio State. Again, the way you carried yourself at Ohio State on and off the field. When you think about what you did in the NFL and then what you've done with your life as a leader in the community, as a leader in social justice movements, um, what do you think of what you've done? Like, do you feel like when you left Ohio State, you knew something like this was in front of you? How have you, again, managed sort of the success on and off yeah. the field at the next level after college? Well, I think it's it's two things. It's one understanding that it's a look at we what we've done, right? I've I've never the things I've accomplished are all bigger than me, which is what I'm most proud of, right? So that means that I, I've had to find people to help bring these dreams and business to fruition. Now, what you know, places like Ohio State playing under Jim Trestle, getting that up that upbringing it really prepared me to step into that role of leadership to how to guide the vision of my foundation that has grown for over a decade of work now you know doing work in four different states ohio louisiana pennsylvania new jersey all the places i call home to have that you need vision you also need support my mom is the president and we've got you know volunteers and donors all over the country that support that work so that's a look at what we've done the coalition and the social justice things that i've done none of that was on my own you know, power that is a collective. Um, and we were able to scale that to something that is now over 12 different professional sports where athletes all over the uh, country can activate and get involved in whatever way they want in social issues. That is a we thing. And I'm only able to lead the, the, the collective because of the upbringing I had in my household, the upbringing I had and the experiences I had at Ohio State and Jim Trestle being other other leaders seeing what works what did what didn't Troy Smith was one of my favorite you know leaders because of I saw how he demanded things out of teammates out of coaches he pushed buttons if he needed to he talked to you on the side if he needed to those things are all tactics that I still use to this day when it comes to leadership and planning a vision for something larger than myself you mentioned in the book that James Laurinaitis was the best man when you got married. Yeah. He's coaching back. You want to come back and coach at Ohio State? I'm giving not, you the invite. I, I like the seat that I'm in. I get the, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not as stressed out. Like I'm a, I don't, I think I'd be a, a tough coach, you know, because I, I want things to be done a certain way. And if you can't do it, I don't, you know, I'm struggling on the, the communication part there yet, but I, yeah. I'm enjoying watching it. James, uh, and Brian, you know, yeah. are doing phenomenal things. Even Marcus Freeman, I'm, I'm glad we we beat them. But to see what he's doing now as a head coach, you know, he was my locker mate. All of these guys, uh, it's phenomenal to watch what they're doing, especially especially Brian. Like, 
he's putting out you know first round receivers every single every single year. Uh, yeah. So the development is is huge, and I'm glad that they're tapping back into the guys that helped build that program. So now that you've retired and you've written a book, what do you want to do next? You got a lot of life ahead of you, Malcolm. What are you going to use your time for? Yeah, I mean, the majority of my time, you know, playing this game, you sacrifice a lot with family. So I've been very, very intentional in spending more time with my kids, raising them. That's really the most important thing. Um, and I've also set myself up from a business standpoint where I can take some time away and not feel like I need to rush into the next thing. So writing has been in uh and storytelling has been something i've always been passionate about and it's something i'm putting a lot of effort to now so this won't be my last book this won't be the last thing creatively that i'm doing so i'm spending a lot of time writing researching i've um, been around a lot of artists um just understanding creative process i um, mean that's really where you know my life goes i realize even in social justice work i realize this it's I, it's more impactful for me to tell you a story about someone than it is for me to hit you with statistics and mm -hmm. policy and all of those things. You know, so we want to change the world. We want to uh, remember history, want to honor folks. That's going to come through storytelling. And now I don't, my platform is larger than just the microphones in front of me in my locker room. You know, I get to dictate how to use that voice. And so, you know, it's you, you see me back at like kind of this rookie level where I'm learning, I'm, I'm, I'm understanding things, but you'll see that voice begin to grow uh in the in the form of content malcolm jenkins what winners won't tell you going to be released october 3rd yep. malcolm thanks for for taking time to join us here on kings of columbus and we hope we, we'll see you back in columbus soon yeah i will be there um next friday actually and saturday for the game uh, they got the hall of fame induction uh i did get in uh, i got uh voted to join the osu hall of fame yeah. this year so that'll be that'll be awesome so I'm, I'm looking forward to being back in columbus it'll be great to see you congratulations on all of your success and uh thanks for joining us here on kings of columbus thanks Doug. so thanks to malcolm jenkins for that um we'll try to do more of that here right not everybody's always going to be on a book tour but we i think you guys like hearing from former Buckeyes, from people who are doing interesting things uh, in football and in their lives. So, you know, we'll, we'll keep bringing you that kind of stuff here on the podcast feed. Again, uh, you know, no game this weekend, but Landis and I will have a show for you that should go up on Saturday where we are going to draft the 20 best Ohio State football players right now. We did it in the preseason. And we want to do it again now after four weeks to see like what's changed, who's moved up, who's surprised us, who's impressed us. So we will bring you that football this weekend. And then, of course, just like constant stuff on the podcast feed from Jeremy Birmingham, from Austin Ward, from Bill Landis. And we really appreciate you guys uh, joining us here to do all of that. And we certainly appreciate Malcolm Jenkins giving us some time. For now, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Kings of Columbus. <laughs>